This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Adidas and the all-new line of Terex outdoor gear, now with zero-dye fabrics. So there's many issues surrounding the sustainability of shoe production. And when we think about materials, the dye process is definitely one of the most resource-intensive processes that the shoe goes through. This is Jessica Goddard. I'm a colour and materials designer in the footwear department for Adidas Terex. When you think of a classic pair of Adidas shoes, they're probably all white or some other bright color with that iconic three-stripe logo on the side. But what we don't really talk about is what it took to make them so white or red or whatever color they are. It could potentially have been through two different processes. So the first being a conventional dyeing method, which of course uses heat, energy and water. Or potentially it's also been through a process of bleaching, which of course uses chemicals in order to achieve the right level of whiteness. With a zero dye shoe, that whole process has been eliminated. Zero dye shoes are made from materials in their natural color. And that's no small thing. Dyeing fabrics requires heating up water, adding dye, and then flushing that water away because it's dirty. By eliminating the dyeing process, every two pounds of zero-dye fabrics save a gallon of water. And so there is a process in which it's been washed, but because that water hasn't got any dye in it, that water is able to be used again and again, like a closed-loop cycle. What you end up with is a nearly white trail runner that has a completely different relationship with dirt and mud than a normal white shoe. These shoes start out white, but they're not supposed to be white. And yes, they realize that that will require a lot of people to rethink their relationship with their shoes. The shoe might look similar, but the story it tells is completely different. For more on Adidas Outdoor Products, go to adidas.com slash Terex. That's T-E-R-R-E-X. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. When you're a person of color trying to make inroads in a homogenous sport like cycling, it helps if you're really fast. It just does. Nothing breaks down walls like winning. Aisha McGowan is really fast on a bike, but for writer James Mills, it's actually the rest of her life where things get really interesting. Here's James. Like most kids growing up, Aisha McGowan rode a bicycle. She distinctly remembers getting her first bike, In fact, she got two. When she was five years old, for Christmas, she got one from her mom and dad and one from her grandparents. Both, she's sad to say, were pink. Aisha hates pink. But she taught herself how to ride, spinning laps in her grandparents' garage in the little farming community of Carlton, Georgia. She took more than a few spills in the process. She skinned both her knees. But over time, she got the hang of it. Unfortunately, her favorite of the two bikes was crushed under the wheels of her grandfather's pickup truck when it was rolled backward by a herd of cows. When her family moved to live in Piscataway, New Jersey, Aisha rode a different bike to school and to basketball practice. She was basically a commuter. But over the years that followed, her love of bicycles slowly grew. She became an advocate for cycling as a vehicle for social change. She was a bike messenger and delved into the underground world of Alicat street racing. Her talents emerged, her ambitions soared, and now she's on track to become the first African-American female professional road cyclist. 
So now one of the things that you did is street racing, especially in, in New York. I mean, how, now, was that a part of going from community advocacy to racing? Um, so I was still in my early 20s at that point, and that was just the thing that I enjoyed doing. I had made a lot of friends in advocacy and made a lot of friends who weren't in advocacy but who just rode bikes because it was fun. And New York has a very rich scene of cycling in all of its various forms. And I just gravitated towards that that competitive rush of doing alley cats in, in gold sprints. I really like gold sprints because I don't know if you know what gold sprints are. Basically, it's a bike on an on a indoor trainer, essentially. Like it's the back part of the rollers and you're not going anywhere, but it's basically seeing who can pedal the fastest. And I just thought it was so fun. And every time I showed up, I won. <laughs> and so I kept showing up because we wouldn't want to do that wow. um, if you keep winning. Um, and I think that was the the first time it was like, I'm trying to be better than I was before. Whereas with Alley Cats and like other things that I was doing, it was just, oh, I'm just showing up because it's fun and I'm having a good time. But I wasn't really seeking to improve. I wasn't seeking to do better than the last time. But because I kept winning these gold sprints, it was like, now I, I can't let someone else beat me. I have to step my game up. And it was the silliest thing because they're not really for anything um, like tangible. Um, most Mostly they hold these races and events for charity things, which is awesome. So I could justify it in that manner. But um, for me, I was just having such a fun time pushing myself in a, a very safe <laughs> space um, that it turned into what it is now, which is kind of insane when you think about it. No, it's, it's, <laughs> it is indeed crazy. Because frankly, you I mean, to be able to go from something like that to something um, like your very first group ride. Now, I understand that you showed up in jean shorts? <laughs> Jorts. <laughs> so, I mean, and everybody else was in a competitive kit, you know, like like real yeah, cyclists. I'm making the finger I quotes here. I really know a whole lot about that scene. <laughs> okay, so what was that like? I mean, is, is it safe to say that you just didn't fit in? Um, no, I didn't fit in. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, in many ways. Uh, <laughs> one of them being the jorts <laughs> and the bike and the shoes and... Um, I'm pretty sure I was the only black woman there also. It was a, it was a women's ride. It was actually um, like a special event for Evie Stevens, who was um, started bike racing in New York as well. And so um, they were holding a big group ride, and all of the like racing teams and um, spandex-wearing women came out, and they looked like ready. And I showed up for this. I didn't even know where the ride was starting. I'd never actually looked for the boathouse in Central Park, which was the starting point. Mind you, it's very easy to find the boathouse. <laughs> But I was unprepared in so many ways, but I was determined to like show up for this thing because I thought it seemed like it was going to be really cool. And I showed up and I had my old steel um, converted single speed <laughs> with like a milk crate on the back of it. And I'm wearing my jorts and my tank top and I probably had something in the crate knowing me. And I just probably looked insane and ridiculous to them. Um, and I don't think anyone actually said anything along the lines of you look insane and ridiculous, but uh, they were as inviting as someone can be in that situation. And they were asking questions, trying to figure out who I was and why I was there. And they were also really surprised that I was keeping up with them considering 
the equipment and apparel that I decided to show up in. And for me, it wasn't anything. I wasn't trying very hard. I was just riding a bike with other people. Whether she realized it or not, Aisha had made an impression. The other cyclists saw her skills, her raw talent, and they encouraged her to start riding competitively. But at that moment, Aisha just couldn't imagine herself dressed up in a fancy racing kit, riding a tricked-out road bike on the racing scene. She really didn't see the difference between riding her bike for fun and riding to win. I think bikes in themselves are a meeting point in a lot of ways. I don't feel like I've ever really viewed the individual disciplines of bicycles as completely separate entities. For me, a bike is a bike is a bike. And I feel like that was where we were all the same in some way. Maybe my bike wasn't the same as their bike, but we were all on bikes and we were all having a good time and we were all just riding around circles around Central Park and that was enough, you know, that that was enough. Hmm. So now what made you decide to go pro? I mean, to, to, to go from riding circles around Central Park to riding really fast around criterion routes and, and for tour racing and things like that. What, what was the jumping off point for that? It took a while to get from that point to actually even racing. It was over a year before I actually started Just racing. a year. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Just a year. I mean, at that point, I think I was 25, 26. So, you know, the, t- the clock is ticking. It's not like I'm not a spring chicken. I'm not old, but I'm not a spring chicken. So, you know, years, a long time. <laughs> um, and I... I was in a transitional period, actually. I'd just gotten out of a really bad relationship. It was like one of those, like, I need to figure out who I am (laughs) type scenarios. And I was really ripe for trying new things and, like, taking chances and, like, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And that wasn't the solution. Like, I wasn't like, I'm going to be pro now. It was just, I'm going to try this racing thing. My friends are getting into it. They're putting together a a team. I'm going to try it out. And I tried it out and I really, you know, over time I really enjoyed it and I had a lot of success early on and I started to notice because, I mean, that's something that I've always noticed how many black people are in the room at any given moment when I walk in. And at these races, there weren't very many um, women of color and I just wondered why that was and I was just looking into seeing like the history of it and who'd taken this journey before and I discovered that there hadn't been an, a professional African-American female, you know, road cyclist, which still boggles my mind to this day. I still don't get it. Um, and I had the time. <laughs> and it was really a spur-of-the-moment thing. I'm very impulsive sure. sometimes. And, like, every now and again I'll look back and say, man, did I really, like, sign up for this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. I don't regret it yet. So <laughs> we're still going. <laughs> it was very impulsive. It wasn't like a gradual, like from starting to race to wanting to go pro, it wasn't gradual. It was very like, I think I just got such a rush and just had such a good time riding. And I found that, you know, for me, representation has always been very important. And I found that this is a place where representation is sorely needed. And I love racing bikes and I want other black women to know how much fun this is so they can love racing bikes too, if they want to. It's not like I'm trying to force them to do it, but I feel like they don't even know it's here. They don't even know how much fun this is, and I want everyone to know how much fun this is. By becoming a pro cyclist, Aisha also wants to become a role model. 
She wants to show ordinary people, especially other black women, that they can become any kind of writer they want to be, maybe even a pro. Through her online training program, which she calls We Do Better Together, Aisha wants to inspire her followers to find their own path into the world of cycling. She runs it through her website, aquickbrownfox.com. How, how do you describe a quick brown fox? I mean, what, what is your website? What is your online social media community? So it started as just a way to document my journey and share it with my family and friends. And then it exploded into this whole other thing because apparently representation is important to other people too. <laughs> and so they were craving this, this story. Um, but now I'm, I'm using it as an outreach tool as well and as a place to share other stories because it's important for people to know I'm not the only black woman who rides bikes. And that's the whole point. It's, there is an entire industry of black women who ride bikes. They're not necessarily racing, but there's this, this pool of women who are being ignored and being dismissed. And they all have really fantastic stories. And every time I am allowed to share one of their stories, it inspires and encourages somebody else to try something new. And then they have a story to tell. And every single person, it's almost like a pyramid scheme where every single person creates this network where the people they know then see them and then they do something and then the people they know see them and it keeps going and it keeps growing. And then maybe before we know it, we've got something like we've we've got a, a working community of people that are actually being seen and that's the goal aisha has definitely created an environment of support and encouragement but she's also a competitor a top athlete and she wants to ride at the highest level i want to be a pro i mean it would be great to be a champion it would be great to go to the olympics and all of these other goals that people are constantly asking me about because you know when you when you think about sports, like the Olympics, that's the thing. And it's like, I would love to do that, but I honestly do feel like I maybe started a little too late and don't necessarily have the resources that um, would allow for me to accomplish something like that. Um, but for me, it's more about opening the door and leading the way for future champions and future Olympians. And I mean, I really hope I live to see the day where that happens because that would be fantastic. Um, but... Just planting, again, planting that seed is super important and, and just creating that example for somebody to maybe see and be inspired by and, and go for it. So let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> and to that point, I mean, um, let's talk about your cycling, really. I mean, um, what are your goals? I mean, long term, what, what do you hope to accomplish as a cyclist, as a professional? Success looks like a contract. Um, I want to have a contract with a professional cycling team. How do you do that? <laughs> you have to convince someone you're worth it. Um, cycling, especially like women's cycling, there's no defined path. There's no defined rules on how you get a contract. Um, and so it gets super, super confusing on how to answer that question. <laughs> um, for instance, they there's a, a competition that happens yearly now hosted by Zwift. It's, a, it's basically like virtual reality um, cycling where you can compete or race or ride with people who are also um, riding in their own home. So your bike is basically the video game controller and you are all riding bikes together. And so Zwift has this competition where if you win it, you get a pro cycling contract with an actual world tour pro cycling team. Um, and 
<laughs> like, what other sport works like that? <laughs> like, I'm not negating its validity, but, like, that just makes it so much more confusing to explain how do you get a pro cycling contract. It's, it's pretty much you have to convince someone you're worth it, um, however that may be. And you came close <laughs> this year. Yes. How close? Very, um, but it's a very tough industry, so it's nothing is guaranteed until the ink is signed on both sides. <laughs> yeah. And you know, as you are also working on your own cycling, you're also helping to encourage other people through cycling. A Quick Brown Fox does kind of the same thing, right? I mean, you yeah. have the virtual ride. Tell me a little bit more about the process of how one goes about participating in one of your online rides. Okay, so I host a virtual ride series called Do Better Together, um, and it's in the winter. So we've already done two months this year. We've done February, um, February, January and February. I forgot what month it was. It is now February. And March is the only one left. Um, and the idea is to give people something to aspire to in the winter months, because I know personally I get really complacent in the wintertime. It's really easy to just do nothing. Um, and if I didn't have this goal of becoming a professional cyclist, I would sit on my couch and do literally nothing um, until it got warm again. <laughs> uh, and so this idea of like, hey, set a goal that works for you. What do you want to accomplish? Like if you could do something, what would it be? And for some people that goal is I'm going to ride my bike three times this week. And for some people it's I'm going to ride my bike 300 miles this week. And whatever that looks like to you, we all are on this journey to accomplish our individual goals at the same time um, based on that idea that it takes a village <laughs> to get pretty much anything done and um, encouraging each other and supporting each other and kind of watching each other succeed because when you see other people doing something awesome, sometimes you want to do awesome things too. And so far it's been very successful and I've always encouraged myself to do better and to keep going because I see other people accomplishing their goals and striving for bigger things. One of the things that I find fascinating too is that I mean you're pretty much training by yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're on your your trainer indoors, you know, especially through the winter. You lead a a bike team online. Um who was there for you? I mean, I mean where do you get your motivation from? I mean, like cuz you're other people's go-to person when it comes to staying motivated who's who's there for you um I mean I have a pretty close circle of of friends that I can talk to all the time it it has become challenging since I've moved so often and we're all spread out across the country and now I have friends you know around the world which is really cool um and just having that really close tight-knit group of of people that I truly and completely trust is is very very helpful that 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 type of person that when you are doubting yourself or when you are feeling a little out there that they can kind of pull you back in and say no no this is your stay on track you're doing the thing just keep going <laughs> is that something else that you look forward to is being part of a team i would love to be a part of the team um my favorite part of racing is being able to work for somebody else which kind of sounds counterintuitive. The thing that a lot of people don't understand is that cycling or that bike racing is a team sport. Um, and so having 
results on a high level by yourself is really challenging. Um, but if you're part of a team, everyone has a job. There are the people who, um, the domestique who takes care of the other riders and goes back to the, the car for water or make sure everybody has what they need. And then you have people whose job it is to make sure that nobody goes up the road and gets away. So your sprinter can't win the race if it comes down to it. Like everybody has a role to play. And I would love to be a part of that. I grew up playing team sports. I played um, field hockey and I played basketball and I did the sprint relay in high school for track. And I always enjoyed being a part of something bigger than myself. Um, and so, yes. I got to tell you that, that when you're talking about the throes of competition, um, it has got to be difficult to be able to balance the emotions of a relationship relative to the stresses of competition. You have difficulties with um, depression and anxiety. Right. Does cycling help with that? I mean, does it help you to balance out those things or does it exacerbate those problems? So what's really funny is that the competition part of things is not the thing that sends me into a frenzy. <laughs> it's all the other stuff. The, the championing for representation, championing for equity and equality. It, it's exhausting and um, sometimes it does feel very lonely and sometimes it does feel like you're just hitting a brick wall over and over and over again. And there's a lot of second guessing yourself. Like, is this a thing? <laughs> am I, am I doing anything? Am I making any progress? The answer is yes. And I always eventually come back to that conclusion, but there are periods of time where it gets frustrating and it gets really hard and some people are really mean. And so you have to, to deal with all of that. For me, bike racing is the best part. It's fun. It happens relatively quickly. Sometimes I have a hard time with it. You know, I'm still, you know, training and getting better and I'm racing at a very high level and it, I'm not at the top of that. So I work really hard every time I race my bike and that, that's what it is, but that's the easiest part. I know what to expect. I show up it sucks for like two hours <laughs> and then I move on with my life. <laughs> but I can, I can count on that. <laughs> so talk to me about the mean people. Okay. I mean, and cause frankly, I would imagine that you have a lot of detractors who don't believe that the things that you're doing, that things that you're investing yourself in are worthwhile. What do you tell yourself when you get those emails, when you get those text messages, those, you know, and it's almost always digital. People in 2018 are not super bold enough to be that way in person, um, which almost bothers me more <laughs> because then I can't look them in the eye and tell them how I feel. The anonymity <laughs> of online. Uh huh. Um, and it almost feels sort of petty and pathetic to retaliate or to respond because you have to not only be articulate and, and intelligent, but you also have to make it known who you're talking to and why you're talking to them. And sometimes it just sounds like you're making up haters or making up these people who are <laughs> like being rude and mean to you. And um, that gets really frustrating. Sometimes I respond, sometimes I don't. Um, towards the beginning, and still sometimes now, I, I make a point of when there's a new video or a new article or some form of media that is released that is featuring me and, and people have very negative things to say or very um, um, rude things to say, I respond because I feel like 
like you said, the the anonymity of it makes people feel emboldened to go for it. And I want them to know I am a real person with real human emotions and real thoughts and feelings. And if you have a question, I will answer it for you. And I always do like, why does this matter? Just race your bike. You probably stole that or whatever they come up with that day. And it's just like, guys, why are we still doing this? And that's usually the question I ask, like, really, like, really? That's where we're at. Okay, all right. Hold on. Let's 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 address it, <laughs> if we must. <laughs> Nearly everything that Aisha does is aimed at creating better representation for people of color, not only in sports like cycling, but in the world at large. It's a huge task with a long way to go. But she says one of the benefits of being a person of color trying to break down a barrier is that when she's successful, the entire community shares in that success. People of color are really good about sharing stories about people of color, even if it's not even remotely something that they care about. They just see a black person and they're like, that's awesome, and then tell somebody else. And now in the age, like, I'm doing this at a really great time because we're in the age of social media where it's really easy to share stories and and communicate and, and spread messages, positive and negative. <laughs> um, it's just much easier to access a larger group of people. And so I feel like, whereas if I'd done this even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had the reach that I have now. Now I can put something on the internet and it can travel as far and wide as it wants to. And that's really cool. That's Aisha McGowan in conversation with writer James Mills. This piece was produced by James and myself, Peter Frick Wright. It was brought to you by Adidas. The Outside Podcast is a production of PRX and Outside Magazine. We'll be back next week.